This is John. This is Blix. And this is Trav. Welcome to the TriTac Podcast. And on this episode, breaking up is hard to do. Womp, womp, womp. <laughs> yes, this episode, no, we are not breaking up as a podcast. We're talking about breaking up the party, as in splitting the party up and party infighting. But on this, uh, this portion of the show, we're going to start with splitting the party up and how that can be good and how it can be bad, uh, when to do it and how to avoid it. I thought the cardinal rule was never split the party. Well, sometimes you have to. Sometimes it just works out better that way. Well, it's an Emerald, Emerald Rose song by that name. So, yeah. <laughs> you, you generally don't want to, okay, for the most part. I mean, primarily because um, then you've got different people going in different directions. And, and, you know, if you say split the party up, if you've got four members of your party, uh, that could mean four ways that it gets split up. And then you're really hosed because you got your, your game master trying to keep timelines synced. You got people who are hogging time, you know, from the other players. Yeah. They're stealing the spotlight time. Yeah, sure. Sure. And, and even if they're not stealing it so much, not everybody can be involved. You'd have one player doing his thing and while he's not stealing the timeline, he is doing his thing, and no one else can do anything. They can't even be involved in it because they're not there. So that that can be frustrating for the other players at the table. Um, it can be frustrating for the for the game master because he's he's, he's got to keep these four timelines in sync. And if you do some action that affects the other players, he's got to keep that in mind, uh, which makes it harder on him. Generally, it, it just leads to a lot of headaches. But then again, sometimes it's necessary. And uh, John, you were pointing out uh, in one of our, our back and forth posts prior to the show that uh, you, you thought of some really good times when you would want to do that. If you have a large group, you know, say five, six players, and it's time to talk to somebody, you, nothing more intimidating than having six people show up and try to talk to you. That's the time when you want to split the party. You know, send in the face person, then the other guys can go off and do something else. So you end up, uh, that could be a research split. Now we had this circumstance. The trap door opens in the pit, and half the party falls in. Yeah, that's kind of set up by your game master, though, in a way. Yeah, or you have two tasks that have to be done, and the GMs them up to be done linear, linearly, but the players decide, no, I have enough skills, I can do this by myself. You guys go do that, we'll do both at the same time. Right, and, and that might be necessary. Uh, Blix, here's a party split thing that you would know really well concerning the genre you like, the net run. Yep, I was just thinking that. Yep, absolutely. For those of you not familiar with the cyber genre, that would be where you have a net runner, the console cowboy, the guy who does all the computer work, 
sitting there and going through the net run and, you know, having to fight countermeasures and all that and open doors so the, the intrusion team can go in physically and do what they have to do. An extraction, which is taking somebody or you're going in and, you know, doing what they call wet work, i.e. just, you know, slaughtering or assassination. So, yeah, you have to – that's a t- another forced split. That has been – such a a weird dynamic with the whole netrunner because i mean that that essentially was a you know a mechanic in the in the game itself that forced a split of the party unless everybody was playing netrunners and then then again that didn't work out so well either so, so one of the things and i can't remember where it was i can't remember if it was in a cyberpunk book or if it was like a plugin that somebody did or if it's something that my game master made up because it's so long ago, there was this real world net that was that was kind of dropped onto the outside world. You wore glasses that you could see the the net at all times if you were wearing these glasses. And the net was laid over the city. So as you went through the city, in that portion of the net, you could see what was going on in the net. And the net runners that were running through there would see what's going on in the outside world because that would be projected back in. So it was like a two-way thing. It was like sort of like a like this ghostly overlay, which was kind of cool. You know, that kind of speaks to how much this affects the game because – Someone wrote a mechanic to bring the party back together so that even even though you would normally split, you could help each other run through things because you'd have your ghostly net runner with you and be like, dude, hack that door. And he would, you know, he'd drop out a program. You see the program like, a, I don't know, maybe a, a fish with a key on its face or something would swim into the lock and open it or whatever. However, the, the your thing was made up. Oh, OK. Yes, that, that was kind of neat. I don't even know where that came from either. If anyone can remember, please, you know, post it somewhere. I remember reading a couple of uh, stories like that where the netrunners could at least see an overlay like that. They could see who, where the servers were and see that what was the, the lines coming out, so to speak, and what was connected in, in real time. Basically, it all augmented reality. It was like an augmented reality, and it kind of went both ways. Like, you could get these glasses so that you could see the net and not not be in it so much you're not you're not physically in the net but you could see where the program was overlaid and and what portion of the net you were in you could see net runners flying around it also depends on the system you're using if you're doing net running because there's a a, a a real system called tech noir where basically it's you know oh i need to hack this and you make your own and that's pretty much all you know that's it i mean there's no splitting the party at that point Hmm. Basically, it's, it, it's more like um, Ghost in the Shell, where ba- basically you're hacking on the run, on the fly. It's right. basically done real time, and there's no need for you to go. Well, if you really do need deep hacking, that's something else. In t- in d- else, but if you just need to, you know, hack some guy's eyes so he can't see you, you can do that on the fly. It's really on the rule system whether or not you 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 break the party, or it's just simply you, they have their turn order. I think I can think of another reason when you would you see people splitting the party on purpose. You need to break into some place. Well, two of the party have, have stealth skills. The rest don't. The party's going to split at that point. The two stealthy people go off and do their thing, while the ones who aren't so stealthy either provide distraction or do something that, that bears suits their skill set. Right. A lot of times it's necessary to maintain immersion. I mean, if you have a situation where you have a, uh, something very stressful going on, like you're trying to disarm a a nuclear weapon, or you have to find something you need in order to disarm the nuclear weapon. 
it makes no sense for everyone to keep walking around and doing these tasks serially. I mean, under normal circumstances, you would immediately split the party depending upon the number of tasks you could determine as being important to that that solution, and then each of them going because you, what you want is the maximum amount of time before that bomb goes off. You don't want to end up at the last five seconds trying to get it all done, and, and just because someone hit a red light somewhere, the, the, the city goes up in flames. So it's going to break immersion if, if you force people to move around and not overlay the same time periods again and again and again as each group goes about their specific tasks. We did an adventure, I would say, with, with my gaming group, I would say probably three months ago, maybe four months ago at this point, where we actually split almost everybody up. One of the guys was a net runner, and then he had a solo type stay with him, breaking into a building. They were close to the building. They were out on the street around the corner. And then we had two two solos. It was my character and another character go in on an actual run, like like, you know, gun and run type of thing. And then we had another guy sitting up in a church tower, and he was playing sniper. But we all had, like, communication. So we actually ran the rounds as if everybody was there. The, the net runner could talk to the solo that was right next to him, but that was the only person he could talk to. That's the only person he could interact with. And then that solo would get on the line and talk with us. That was an NPC that was, that was with him. So basically what it was, is we, everybody was just in communication with each other. So like instead of me saying, hey, I say to the NPC to tell Corey to do this, it was, Corey, do this, because it was understood that that's how that conversation was going. So, so not, to not belabor the conversation between the players. We were all split up. Everybody was in a different location. There was three different locations, but we were all really kind of together. Actually, there's no way of splitting the party, I just realized. It's sort of like similar to net running, but it's the magical version, you use your familiar to go you see through your, you basically take, you step into your familiar and let your familiar go and investigate something. Your body's there, but you're someplace else, mentally speaking. And that's, that's kind of splitting up. Or just simply, you got a series of rooms and you decide the most expedient thing to doing is we all search a different room. And let's go, let's go to Fringeworthy. All right. Let's, cause, cause Fringeworthy is a good place. Uh, yes. for, for splitting up that that's a real easy place to get split up. So you're on a survey team. You know, you've got six people to go through. You know, you set up your balloon with your camera on it or whatever, whatever things you're going to do. And let's say you brought out three ultralights. You're going to send them off in three different directions. Well, that's splitting the party up, and that's a good way. That's a, a good time to do it. Yeah, you have some at base camp to, to, you know, control everything. And then you have your three pilots out taking pictures and reconnoitering. And then that leads to the downside. So you've split the party up. You've got your three ultralights out, and one of the ultralights either A, breaks down due to adventure uh, hook. Uh, maybe it's an NPC, and that's you know there's that's going to be the, the, the game master's adventure. It's a pterodactyl, one or the other, you know. Or something happens, right? Something happens, he goes down. So everybody gets regrouped. They have to go after and help this person out. Or he gets shot down by, uh, by natives or something like that. And let's say, you know, that isn't really, you know, the, the core of the adventure. The game master just wants to see what's what's going to happen or what you're going to do. Is he captured by the natives? Right. Well, one thing I would say, and this is mechanics more than anything else, is if it doesn't really change anything, just run everything in, I would say, initiative or, ta- or, initiative or table, so to speak. Peter shot down Bruce and Trav are, are at the base camp. And I'll just go, Peter. Well, you can do this round, blah, blah, blah. Bruce, well, you can do this round. Trevor, you can do this round. And just 
and basically at that point, try to keep track of what Peter is not there. He's someplace else. Okay. Bruce and Trav are trying to get to him. All right. Well, John, you're, you're suggesting one possible way of dealing with it, which is what I refer to as fast cuts, which is where you're cutting back and forth and only dealing with a short period of time before moving back to another group and another group. That's one way of doing it. It is a little bit hard for, for the GM to keep track of all these different things because he's imagining all his NPCs in one situation, and then he has to switch over his mind to another situation immediately, which is vastly divergent. It's really putting a burden onto the GM to do that. Not that I'm saying you shouldn't do it. I'm just saying it's something to keep in mind that when this happens, it's really easy for the GM to get confused if he isn't really well organized. So if that if you're the kind of GM that likes to do that sort, wants to do that sort of thing, then I highly recommend taking lots of notes and being very well prepared because you're not. It's going to be very hard to switch back and forth otherwise. Meanwhile, back at the base. Then meanwhile, back at the base, you do some rounds with that group and you come back. Hopefully, you're entertaining enough that the air players don't get bored. Either A, you have to provide a means for the other players to interact with the group that they're not in. In Fringeworthy, most of the time what we would do is that we would always make sure everybody had some kind of a communication gear on. So even if they weren't there, they could still see through the, uh, the, the shoulder cams. They could still communicate with everybody who was there so they could convince armchair quarterback from their other situation Assuming, of course, that their situation wasn't a really serious one where they couldn't actually pay attention to the other group. And that way, the, the, the people who are not in the group still feel invested in what's going on, and they're not utterly bored. The, the other alternative is for the players and the GM to understand that they are now putting on a show for the other players. It's their job to entertain the people who aren't there. And when it's the other person's turns, it's also their turn, it's their responsibility to entertain the people who now no longer have the spotlight. I know a lot of players who do not understand this. In my group especially, they do not understand this. A third way of doing this, okay, so I hand Bruce and Trav NPC character. Okay, all right. I think as long as the players understand okay, this is pretty much the role you have, follow this general guideline, you're good, because then you're going to have problems with the players not understanding how these NPCs would act in the situation with the PC. You'd have to have some pretty experienced players to be able to pull that off, because if you're doing that with a bunch of new players, eh. I would never do that at a convention, because I have no idea of the quality of players I'm getting. Well, exactly. The Sunday Skypers, uh, yeah, I would, I'd, I'd do that in a heartbeat. Oh, same with my gamers. I've gamed with some of them now for like two or three years minimum, and some of them have, you know, decades of experience. So I wouldn't have any problem with that. You can't do this unless you the NPCs are favorable toward the players, because otherwise it's in the players' best interests to not play those NPCs as antagonistic or self-absorbed or self-serving as they might be, because... It's, it's hurting the party for them to do so. In those kinds of situations, I would always want to hand off NPCs that are acting in a supportive position to the players because then their objectives are aligned. Either the PC has got to protect them, and, and so basically he's doing a, being an escort. They're working together to a common goal. You, you hand the, the players soldiers from a group that's attacking the players. 
as a player, I should be honest and, and fair to the game and do my very best to use my best tactics to smoke the players as hard as I possibly can, because that's what the NBC would do. But on the other hand, they also realize that I want these guys healthy because I have my own goals that I want to achieve and I don't want to come back and find half the party incapable of helping me achieve my goals because they got smoked by these NPCs. This is where the negative really comes in. It's when the party decides to split on you. So it's not part of the adventure. It's not like a trap door that you've set up. Or it's not uh, a mission goal or, or the best way to do the mission is to split up. But they just decide they want to split up. Or somebody decides he wants to go off or she wants to go off and do their own thing. And I've had players like that as well. We had this one player who was notorious for it. Any chance he got to go pursue his own thing, he would go do it. Are we talking about the uh, cannibal again? No, 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 no. This wasn't this. This wasn't my character. This was someone else's character. But I, I could see that that person in that situation. Oh, sure, sure, absolutely. Yeah, he would do things to serve his self interest. He's sort of a selfish player. And then we'd we'd all be like sitting around waiting for him to resolve things. And nine times out of ten, he would get the rest of us in trouble. If you sent him on a scouting mission, he would always do something stupid, like the dumbest thing he could do. And we would have to rush in to help him. And it's just like, you know, if you hadn't gone off by yourself and stuck with the program, we could have pulled this off. But now, now the whole adventure is all screwed up because you had to go and glory seek. Uh, a lot of times he would do that. He would, he would go off so that he could be the first one to get to a thing and hopefully gain the glory of pulling off whatever task it was. God, when the party splits up like that, it's just, you just want to choke somebody. It's just, it's like you're making it hard on everyone you know your party is is doing what the game master has set up and everything's going fine and then somebody turns into a jerk and starts doing this stuff game master's not going to be happy with it and i guarantee you there's no incentive on him making it easier on you guys because of it he's set up a scenario to uh, for four players and this person is has arbitrarily removed themselves so now we you have set 25% less resources in order to try to succeed in this scenario now right and plus he's he's going against the logical order of things it's like why would you do why would you leave now now is not you can't leave now i what am i supposed to do with you now that you've left He's like, oh well, I'm going here and checking this out. It's like, no, you you can't <laughs> you can't leave the group. I have I have I sat down. I spent three hours prepping this adventure, and you're just doing something on a on a whim. And of course, as a game master, you know sometimes you got to let people do that because it's otherwise you're you're railroading them. But you know there, there comes a point where it's just kind of like, well, if you don't want to play the adventure I made, why don't you go home, or why don't you make up an adventure? And let me screw it up for you. A little passive aggressive there, Peter. <laughs> well, no, it's just no, no. It, it's it's just it's a courtesy thing. I mean, if yes, I agree. You know, if somebody spends a lot of time prepping an adventure now, I, and I'm not the game master most of the time. Most of the time, my friend John does the game mastering, so we try to be conscious of this. You know, he spends time prepping stuff. You know, I don't want to do just exactly what he wants us to do because you are playing characters, we are playing the game too, but. At least stay in the in the ballpark, you know. Don't leave the stadium altogether. I've had people totally disrupt 
other characters by doing that. I mean, the worst case scenario with that is when someone decides that, and this kind of goes to your second topic a little bit, so I don't want to spend too much time on it, where the one player decides that instead of dealing with the scenario, the, the, the challenge that's there right now, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to kill this character standing next to me. Oh, right. Because for some reason, I don't like him. So now you, you end up, you have two people who are now no longer contributing to the situation, and you have a long-term possibility of losing both characters now, because this one person decides that this is what they need to do right and i think that just chalks up it looks at it best selfish player it's like you're all at that table and the characters are all together in the group set up and fulfill certain goals sort of an un i guess an unwritten mission statement would be the best word social contract that may be a problem because if it's unwritten that may be the very reason why you have this problem. If you've been gaming for a long time, you shouldn't have to spell out to the player, okay, now this is what we're going to do. One, you're talking down to the, the player, and two, if there have been gaming, you know, I can understand a new player doing this, but if it was somebody with our level of experience, and, and for those of you listening, imagine 25 years minimum gaming or at least game mastering, each. And there's four of us here. If you got players with that much experience still doing that, there's a problem. A big problem that needs to be addressed ASAFP. A bit like Sherlock going, I'm bored. It doesn't have to be like that, John. Okay, It may be that you have somehow locked into the dream situation that this character has always, this player has always wanted to do. And his and he's going to have his character go do the thing that they've always wanted to do, come hell or high water, because they've been waiting 25 years for this to happen. It happened actually in my own, in, in my own experience. Now, I, I was nice enough not to actually do that, but I'm just saying I could see where a, a, a person who's been essentially thwarted in certain things, really wanting to concentrate on something that may only, to the GN's mind, be vestigially related to the main thrust of the narrative but that's where the player wants to be and you're going to have to do some work to pry them out of that so when you do have to split the party how how you guys manage that like let's say it's intentional and you and you have a chance to prep for this and you you have an adventure where you you've pretty much set it up to where they don't have to split but probably be best if they do how do you maintain that order what uh, can you think of any any things that you do in particular to to try and make sure that things go smoothly as possible uh mechanics or as far as metagaming either way me i i try to make sure that the players well the characters all have a means to still communicate with each other okay that's a good point i can bounce back and forth and for me you know usually it'd be kind of hard but as I said, with the amount of gaming I've done, it's a skill I've had to pick up. Right. The Maze World game. I mean, there's either techno magic or spells like, uh, oh gosh, in the player's handbook, I believe they called it Rary's Telepathic Bond. Okay. Where you just mind links, where you're just telepathically in contact, or you have a techno magic com link that all of you, all of the players, all the characters are still talking to each other. They can still you know, bounce ideas back and forth despite them doing different things. So I'm not having 
two different two players sitting there doing nothing. I try to keep that 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 level of contact still going despite the characters not being together. Hmm. Okay. Because it, it's bad because then if you do if you don't do that, then you got characters going out for a smoke break or they're going down to the corner store or whatever. And if you need them, then they're not there. Which I've had happen in the Maze World game. <clears throat> yeah, that that sort of helps to the they're you, they're separated, but they're in a way they're really not. I mean, the the group is still being that they can talk to one another. They're still kind of this still kind of the same thing as being together. Yeah, in a lot yeah. of ways. I mean, they can't physically support one another at a moment's notice, but they're all still talking to one another. You're not like jumping from person to person to person to person. You are a little because. Let's say characters A and B are over at the campfire, keeping an eye on the site, and characters C through F are going out and checking the noise that they heard. Right. They can contact with A and B, but, you know, it, it's so then you can sit there and at least they, they can give their input on a situation. Let's say you have somebody s skilled in a certain skill. And the the party the part of the party that went out found something. Well, they can sit there and call back and say describe it, and then the guy back at the campfire can say that sounds like this, this, and this. I would have to come and check it out, but from what you're telling me, so they can still play off each other. Yet the characters themselves aren't together, so that that can be done. The form of contact, we'll call it, depending on the setting. Right. I tend to build. A, a mind palace to keep track of everything in my head because sometimes I just can't sit down and look <laughs> at my notes. What? Wait a minute. What? What's a mind palace? You never watch Sherlock? No, I don't watch Sherlock. Oh, bad blicks. I don't really have so much time. I watch two TV shows. That just doesn't happen to fall into my two TV shows. It's a way for me to keep track, keep clear in my head what's going on. Our last game of uh, Third Zone. We had ongoing combat between uh, six scavenger creatures from from the word zone and three players. But it was split. It was a split party because one of the characters was stuck in the cab of the truck fighting off a one of the critters that went through the windshield. The other character is in the back of the truck fighting off two of the critters. And there's a third one on the ground trying to dodge the truck going doing donuts in the in the farm field. You know, and they're all separate. They're all separate combats and they're Basically, the, the party was more or less split, uh, especially when one guy decided when he heard a, heard a, a, a child scream and went after, and ran off into the into an orchard. Uh, the party was definitely split because there is no way they could, could communicate with each other in that situation. The guy in the cab couldn't talk to the guy in the back of the truck. He couldn't talk to the guy on the ground. So they're all doing things independently and they're hoping like heck they don't get run over or tossed or the truck flips over. It's my policy to avoid combat, if at all possible, whenever the party split, because there is a great diversity between the amount of time that various tasks take, and almost always combat drops into micro-time. And therefore, you, you, you get these these really big problems where some want, because somebody's having combat, they're taking up the lion's share of the time because that's what you're trying to do to keep everything in sync. And so I try to always avoid it as much as possible. Or if they have to do it, you have, then you may have to say, okay, we're going to have to 
abstract this a bit because we don't want to go buy by blow and everyone else be bored and say, okay, you get to make a roll for this for this combat and you get to see what happens and then some and then you get to narrate what the result was based upon what your role is, you know, your opposed role. It took two episodes to finish up the um, the combat. So wait a second, you're saying that during that time, no other group got to do anything? You spent two episodes on one combat? End of one episode and finish at the beginning of the other episode. Basically, we end up splitting between between two uh, two episodes. Yeah, but that didn't answer my question. Did did you did you just concentrate on the combat to uh, disregard all the other tasks that people were doing then? Oh no 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 no! They all doing the same time. This is not like three separate. You know, this is all happening at the same time. So we had we had basically one big combat scene, but it was basically split between the three different participants. Oh, running three separate combats at once? Ooh. That's the alternative. I mean, if you have three combats going, then everybody's on the same time level. If they weren't doing that, if one person was having combat and the other two were doing some other task, then the lion's share of time would fall, of playing time, would fall to the combat because almost all most combat systems are big time hogs. Oh, yeah. One of the things that I've tried is using the drama deck you give some cards to some of the other players who are not in the scene and you let them use those cards on the scene that they're not in. They can only play those cards on scenes that they're not in. So that keeps them invested in what's going on, looking for an opportunity for them to play one of their drama cards. Drama cards. Um... Yeah, from the drama deck from Clockwork Drama. That was produced by uh, Stephen Wallet. Oh, oh, that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I still have the interference card that he gave me back in 2020. Okay, all right, yes. So you have things like cards that say the next attack you make will be critical and do maximum damage, or so-and-so believes your lie, or turns out that somebody is actually an old friend of yours and they're just realizing who they're fighting. So you can really radically change things by doing that, and we use the, the drama deck constantly in all the games that I play with TriTac. But I'm saying this is a situation where you could use your cards instead of for your benefit, either for or against the benefit of another player or players who are in a scene that you're not currently in. Right. Right, yeah, and they're good for that uh, because they don't have direct effects on the game as in uh, plus two to your next roll or, or, or stuff like that. They, they hit you out of nowhere. They hit everybody out of nowhere. It's like, you know, you, you get this situation like, huh, look at that. I have a card that I could do something with this. And sometimes the game master is just like, yeah, sure. Uh, and that's going to do this. So you may play it and it may even may not even do what you thought it was going to do. But the game master interprets the situation and the card a way completely different than you had planned. And so they can be used to help, you know, other the other players in the group because sometimes the game is like this won't help you, but it could help them, you know. And it's like, all right, well, there you go. Yeah, those those are pretty sweeping changes that you can uh, effect with his. I, yeah, I believe, yeah, every time I run a con game using Savage Worlds, I, out comes the uh, both the drama deck and the uh, adventure deck because they're both quite useful. Last night uh, we were playing Hardware Hinterland, and somebody brought out a. He, we were in the middle of a combat where they were over. There, there was overwhelming people fighting them, and he pulled out this card that said, "At the end of this combat, you know, you, instead of being killed, you are taken prisoner, giving uh, with the option of escaping later." And 
he, he, he played it and I said, well, you know, if it comes up, I'll, you know, we'll put that into effect. But, you know, thinking later on, what I should have done is I should have said, okay, you play that card. The combat's over. You guys lost. This is where you are now. Because that would have been playing true to the card. I think I didn't do that good job with that card. It was bad of combat because we spent the entire night doing a combat, doing combat when we could have just said, "Okay, it's over. Now let's move on with the plot." Yeah, you're now you're now in the hut by the it's in in the middle of the village with the with the bamboo bars. It's pretty inherent. Splitting the party can be tough, uh, and it can be necessary. And I think we've kind of hit on. You know, most of the permutations of, of what to do and how to handle it and how to avoid it and when to use it. But I think the the bigger portion of this show or the, or the more delicate or more complicated, as it were, portion of the show is party infighting. And party infighting, it goes without saying, that is never good. There are really only two things, two main portions of this to talk about. A, how to avoid it. And B, what to do once it happens. Are you talking player infighting? Are you talking yes. character infighting? Because those are two different things. Well, okay, right, 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 and you're right, you're right. We will have to differentiate between that because those can be two very different things. Two players are completely fine with one another, and their characters are going at it, but the players aren't mad at each other at all. It's just like, hey, dude, this is what my character would do, and the other guy's like, yeah, mine too, ha ha ha, and you know, and they go, <laughs> they go at it. I think when you have that, I think there is a lot less of a concern over avoiding it you probably want to avoid it if you can because it's generally not good for the party if the, if any of the party members are fighting but that's not going to disrupt your group as a whole i think when it gets personal that's when you have a real problem where you might even lose a player to your group forever i think you're avoiding the impact on the other players who aren't part of the conflict oh yeah you're right bruce i am I know a lot of people that are like, you know, if every time I come, these two are going to be at it at each other's throats, you know, that's not the game I came to play. I'll go find another game. You know, like when two parents are fighting and the child's caught in the middle, that's what you feel like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I fought a grenade and throw it into the next room. Right. You know, because you, you want these people to stop doing what they're doing. You have two players who constantly love to sit down and and nitpick, not nitpick, but just, you know, micro plan everything. And the rest of the players are like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this is going on for an hour. Time to blow something up. So the, we have to move on. And that makes people angry because they're like, well, we had this plan. We were working on this plan. It was going to be great. And now you've changed it so we can't do it anymore. Thank you very much. Right, right. You know, and it, it falls in the same thing we were talking about before, about sucking up time and boring the other players and it being unfair to everyone else because while the two of you are going at it, no one else can get anything else done. So if you're going to do that, it's your responsibility to entertain the other members of the table. You know, this better be like the dueling between the two protagonists in Princess Bride. I'm left-handed. Oh, I'm not. I'm left-handed too. You know, <laughs> and back and forth, and have a repartee, and jump up, and do, and do things that make the other people interested to see what you're doing, because you're basically stealing all the spotlight. It's your responsibility to make that spotlight shine. I had that with party infighting. The new guy, monk ninja, so he was all martial artist, and we have a super strong elf. Ended up being soft as hit, lost. And it was entertaining because here's the, the player of the super strong elf, a 22-year-old woman, 
and the dwarven monk ninja 34-year-old guy, and they're going at it. It was like, they want to do this? Fine. I'll sell tickets. And the players were just laughing because we knew that one punch, this guy would go through a wall. Yet he was cocky. He was the new character standing there at the head of the table mimicking like I'm eating popcorn as they're rolling. And yeah, they were blown off steam. The new dwarf was, you know, kind of, oh yeah, oh, come on. She's an elf. What can she do? Later, as he went flying through the double doors into, you know, ended up at the feet of the villains I had set up. So yeah, it's like, pow, crash. And they look through the doors and they're like, oh no. But it was fun because they were goofing around. It was sort of a, a drag because I wanted to get them to the villains and they decided they're going to do this here in the middle of the scenario. But it was entertaining, so it worked out. Right. They basically entertained the other players so there wasn't a problem. Right. And I, I have had cases where fights break out among the players all the time because of a disagreement in game. And... Everybody seemed to be fine with the fight. Some characters ducked. Others were, you know, duking or blasting it out. And I just made it entertaining in and of itself just because, okay, this is what you want to do. And the players bought into it because it, it was something that my NPC said not to aggravate intentionally. It ended up unintentionally aggravating a, P a PC. So I just, I, okay, fine. Let's do this. Let's get this out of our system now. So the characters can get, you know, move along. It, it's a matter of just blowing off steam. I think a lot of times the players haven't been given enough to do with their character. It's like they came to the wrong game. Yeah. I've got my character, he's a face person, he's stealthy, and the game is all about, you know, down and dirty street fighting. Yeah. And the players, like... I'm not having fun doing this. They become a problem. They start transferring their friction to the other players. They start making snide remarks. They start being passive-aggressive. They do a lot of things. And a lot of times, this is unconscious by the players. All they know is that they're unhappy. They want everyone to know that they're unhappy. And it, it comes out that way. Yeah. In some game systems, if it's not a sneaky-type game, you are... Sorry, Charlie, out of luck. You know, your character's going to be sitting off in the background playing Pinochle. I have never yet seen a game system where it was the problem with the game system. Instead, it was the, the problem was the design of the situation, and it was usually a limitation in the mind of the GM or the other players that they weren't willing to go outside the box. Because every game system I've ever seen has allowed people to do all kinds of things in the middle of all kinds of situations. My current favorite game system is Fate. And in there, you can create a, a character who can't fight, yet he can still be highly effective in combat because he can create advantages for the other players to use so that they can fight better. That was something they tried to do in D&D 4th Edition where you had characters who weren't necessarily real good at all things, but they could buff by their actions the other players and so still be invested in the situation. If you look to a game to be you know, all things to all people, it probably doesn't do some things very well. As long as it does whatever it is that the people want to do, it does enough. Yeah. yeah. It's in your experience, 
when you see this start to happen, where the, where the characters actually start to go at it and the players start to take it personally, what steps do you take or do you take steps to try and minimize that? Would you say, hey, guys, do, do we really want to go down this road? I mean, you're going to start this big fight between you you know, you know, all. It's going to ruin the adventure for the night. I mean, are, are you that metagame or do you kind of let it happen and try and steer it? you know, with maybe an NPC or, or see what the other players are going to do. I mean, do you guys get involved or what, what do you do? Take a break. Take a, okay. Yeah. Number one thing, defuse the situation and let people calm down and do something that they want to do, like empty their bladder or drink a Coke or something. <laughs> Pizza break, you know. Yeah. If the players are getting honked, I understand if the characters are mad at each other and the players are there smiling. If the players are also getting angry at a player across the table because of the character conflict, it's time for people to step away from the table because that diffuses the whole game, that ruins group cohesion, and if not checked, then you will lose players. It also gives you as a GM time to process what's really going on and come up with ideas. When you're in the middle of a situation that's tense, you as the GM may not have the the answer to the solution, you know, to the situation, but given a few minutes to reflect, it might become obvious. As I've found with most fighting, most fights with anybody, personal life or whatever, it's almost always seems to me to be uh, an issue of control. If you look at every fight with that being a possibility, because it just almost always seems – I'm not talking about an argument. I'm not talking about a disagreement. I'm talking about an actual fight where the only thing that the person is trying to do is win the fight. Right, wrong, doesn't matter. It's did they win or did they lose. A lot of times I've found that the most common denominator is control. You know, The person feels like they're being controlled by the other person or they want to exercise their control over that person. So I think you can help diffuse the situation a lot of times by just trying to figure out, is, is that an issue? And if it is, who's trying to control what? And is there any way you can alleviate that problem? Let's say you've got one character who wants to go and do one thing, and you've got another character who wants to go and do another thing. And the two characters start arguing, and the players start getting pissy with each other because, you know, it's like, well, you're always trying to, you know, you're always trying to direct the, you know, everything. And, you know, maybe I'd like a little spotlight this time, but maybe that's not what's said. Maybe that's kind of what's really under the surface. Like, if, if you look closely, you might be able to pick out, this is what this is really about. This fight is really about the fact that this one guy always takes over, and the other guy's feeling slighted, and he wants to have a little bit of the spotlight now. You know, and those are the kind of things I think you can look for. And then if you can figure out that that's what's going on, you could say, hey, John, look, you always make uh, – I'm just saying, John, not, John, not my player if you're listening to this or Steve if you're listening to this. this is not, I'm, not, I'm not directing this at John. But you might say, hey, John, you always control where we go and what we do. Why don't you let you know, why, why don't you let him do a little bit of the adventure tonight? Why don't you let him have the spotlight for once? One of the problems with gaming on Skype is you can't see the other person. Why not? Because most people I game on Skype don't like turning on the camera. Oh, okay. Because I always do. Yeah. Yeah, I prefer to as well. There's a couple of guys who are, they're impulsive players. They just play impulsively. Sometimes it gets people ticked. And I think if people, if they could just see the other people, they would realize, oh, you're not liking this, are you? It's like Flame Wars. You can't see how the other person looks or how they're 
reacting, all you have is their voice. Maybe their text are typing, and that could lead to problems right there. You're missing a whole lot of cues and whether or not this person is really is ticked off at you or just playing he's ticked off at you. So what's your solution, John? Uh, we actually ran to this. I've been playing in a, a Bulldogs game, and a couple of the players started picking on my character, and all of a sudden, one of the players stopped and said, um, are you okay with this? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm happy. No problem. Basically asking, are you okay with this? You know, this break character and just ask your person, are you okay with what we're doing right now? And if the other person gives permission, keep on going. There's also uh, what they call mirror neurons, which are where you can see someone else's emotions and then you kind of feel them. It's where empathy basically comes from. From everything I've been reading and where the studies are going, this one level removed of internet where people can be meaner on the internet, it's because you can't see their emotions, so you can't feel the empathy for them. So it gives you the ability or the license to be meaner. Some people just kind of naturally go into that. Uh, and I think that's where you have like with Skype, you know, you can't see the person, so you can't see when they're getting frustrated or angry. And even if you know they are, your empathy is maybe not kicking in as much as it would normally if you were in the same room with them or even looking at them on camera. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.